Hello and welcome to yet another episode of Zipradio Podcasts powered by Accelerate. I'm your host Madhura and the topic for today's episode is the changing nature of healthcare data challenges. I'm joined today by Pankaj Jain, Senior Vice President Health Tech at Accelerate and he will be my co-host as we chat with our guests. Our guest speaker for today is Arun Meet Chandani, executive advisor and technology leader with more than 20 years of expertise in the healthcare domain. We also have with us Srinivasan Venkatraman, AVP Operations at Accelerate, who brings in healthcare domain expertise with his work in the health tech space. So welcome on board Arun Srini and Pankaj. Thanks Madhura for the introduction. Coming from the enterprise tech world, I understand the importance of interoperability and it is kind of given. In the fintech industry due to standards and interoperability, I can see my bank credit cards information and send receive money on my phone however in the health tech world interoperability is not quite there yet my complete health information is not accessible to me on my phone so arun let me turn to you to provide your perspective on what interoperability means in the healthcare world yeah thanks pankaj that's a loaded question you know <laughs> um, it's not just meant so interoperability is a really big problem in healthcare and it's something that we all need to focus and address very quickly and actually what happened with the covid really you know highlighted the fact the other day i was at the vaccine center and they were handing out physical handwritten notes on people who've been vaccinated you know i just came from india where you know all of that is done on a mobile app called arogya setu and you know your digital certificate is available on a mobile app so you you know when you can get vaccinated where you can get get vaccinated and yet here in us it was being written on a piece of paper and there was no computer in sight for meters right so that's symptomatic of the problem of interoperability and lack of interoperability in healthcare that's a great experience <laughs> you shared uh, so shrini Let me ask you uh, given what just Arun mentioned can you talk about accelerate experience in building interoperable solution and specifically in the health tech industry this different health data formats i am sure that is one of the fundamental issues why we are not there yet absolutely thanks pankaj and uh, that was a fantastic prelude and introduction arun and i think you both have kindled the thought even though we are working with latest technologies experienced in domain with all the gadgets are we still primitive in sharing the health data to our audience i think looks like it but as you rightly said this pandemic and also even before that the energy was driven towards servicing the customers so to your point pankaj just want to set the stage and table of what accelerate does in the health tech industry So we have dealt with various areas within healthcare. Uh, you name it, like a PBM, pharmacy benefit management, pharmacy software solution, enterprise pharmacy solutions, C4DB in that space, contract pharmacy, spread billing, audit tool, disease management, wellness. Why I've I've named all these areas is each one was catering to specific client need and how the data has to be massaged. and broadly classified you can say clinical data is into electronic health record that's a primary you know goal we need to deliver the electronic medical and health record for our clients and administrative data claims data patient disease registry health survey and clinical trials so this is the classification categories and in that specifically what the major challenge we have dealt with in our experiences dealing with claims file and orders by the end of the day these two are kind of a central nervous system which is converted to money and also it's important for our clients the patients and members to know about their profile so what the biggest challenge we have faced is each pharmacy chain or independent pharmacy or a health center we deal with they have a specific format in place how to make it you know you massage it bring it into a common stage and then process it and to name some drug formularies claims file drug price files order files receiving acknowledgement invoice notification advance ship notice we are almost halfway through and in the coming conversation we can deal about our road map and how we are going to make it much more organized and centralized for our audience and this is our health ecosystem 
Pankaj, and uh, our journey in the health tech. Great. So, Arun, do you have any questions for Srinivasan? Well, um, one of the things that I wanted to highlight here was that we have been talking and there are, in fact, existing so-called standards for storing of data, patient health data in the form of electronic records, sharing of that data between health system or health IT systems using things like HL7 and Fire. And very recently, Apple basically put their entire weight behind what they call Smart, which is built on top of Fire. It's an, it's a protocol. It's an API framework that allows any mobile application to use Fire interfaces, or in this case, Smart interfaces, to extract data out of the electronic medical record. And in the most recent iOS uh, announcement they did a couple of weeks ago, they have actually now been able to not only read data out of the, the EMR systems that a patient might want to carry with their mobile phone, but also develop a mechanism for uploading longitudinal data from their smartwatches, from their you know worn medical devices up into the EHR. So now that Apple has thrown their weight and CMS has thrown their weight I think there is a lot of opportunity that might be coming up in the coming you know, months to sort of accelerate this vision of really truly creating an exchangeable format where multiple applications, you know, where you basically write an application once and it doesn't matter which interface or which EHR you are interfacing with in the background. So any thoughts on that as to how accelerate or, you know, the, the technologies that you have could help some of the ISVs in that domain? Definitely. I think uh, you've named some big players like Apple. Yes, definitely. I think we are watching the health tech, the space and the government support. And Arun, as you rightly pointed out, one of the good news that we got in the month of April this year is from the National Coordinator of Health IT, ONC. And they said as a healthcare solution provider, technology and domain, along with our prospects and customers, we have to make healthcare data, EHR, electronic health record, available for our members. And you name it, all types of eight clinical nodes that is defined by United States core data for interoperability. So having said that, a decade before, it was a big challenge. You named it correctly, HL7 standards. And underlying factor is HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, the compliance. So what happens is, like how software industry comes up with new version, even HIPAA, HL7 has their own standards. We have a responsibility to make our software meet the standards and that should not pose a security challenge. So yes, we do have our information security, infrastructure, governance and uh, our architectural team work in parallel to make the security, compliance, multi-factor authentication, so on and so forth available as to address the CURSAC and to expose the data in a very user-friendly format at the same time not being lenient to have the data leak for other customers. And um, I think to name, to quote some, and I think we have exchanged that in a casual manner in the past, is FHIR, I mean FHIR. That is the future, the roadmap is. It's already in the market, but it took some time for everyone to adapt. It's nothing but fast healthcare interoperability resources. But is that end of all? No. Nowadays, like you said, smartwatch, you name any gadget, it should make the data available for them in a quick and easy manner without much of a trouble. Always the industry, they say three-click format. You all might have heard, three-click. If I'm allowed to do more clicks, right, I will lose the interest. And also I may lose where I'm heading to, the direction. So we are trying to use the roadmap is smart which is nothing but substantial medical applications reusable technology with FHIR. And we have a framework in place called File Ambassador. That's called nothing but electronic data interchange framework and tool, which we have incorporated with many of our customers to do this exchange in a very secure, friendly manner uh, to, to answer your question, Aaron. I am glad you brought up cures because one of the things that the, the ONC chair, Dr. Tripathi, has been doing is to create this mechanism along with cures of carrot and stick, where the stick is the part where they actually have liability or a penalty for not health system providers, but mostly 
health IT software providers and health information exchange that if they block access to health information to be used by a third party, then they will be penalized up to a tune of $1 million. And for health system providers, the penalty is in the form of reduced reimbursement from CMS. So that's the stick where it's called the information blocking ban. Uh, so that has been very made explicit in the Cures Act. The carrot part is where Dr. Tupati and the ONC are using their bully pulpit to basically create a set of standards or promote a set of standards like the smart and the fire and coax the industry in that direction to say, this is how you're going to be able to share information. This is available. It's a standard format and there should be no reason for exchange of information to be happening smoothly. So I think they're finally moving in that direction because as, as we started this conversation, it's been a known problem for a long time. And what happened with the pandemic and what's happening even now where, you know, simple things like vaccine, what they're trying to call vaccine passports or, you know, whatever the name would be, ultimately all that information about individuals' vaccination status and whether they can travel or not is all has to be done electronically. And right now we are finding ourselves, you know, behind the eight ball on that. So I think I, I'm, I'm very hopeful in the direction of the industry in coming months and, and years. Arun, I have a question for you. Like in terms of this data format exchange, I'm glad to hear the standards and ONC and they are moving towards that. Are there any limitations where certain health data records, they say like, okay, means like physicians, notes, physicians' notes on my file, my health record when I visit a doctor, not to be go out of their EMR or EHR systems. Are there any restrictions around the data piece itself? What can be visible? What can Very good question. Yes, uh, the current thinking has been that at least from a consumer standpoint, from patient standpoint, the patient will have to give permission to the health systems for what data the health system or whoever is the carrier of the data or the store of the data are allowed to share with the providers, right? So as a user, I can say, I want to share, you know, my glucose measurements, such and such lab results, blah, 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 with my PCP or, you know, with particular uh, provider. And then that information, the burden is now on the health system or the, the store of the data systems to say, can we make that available? Now, there are a lot of details to be worked out, as you're trying to hint here, which is it's not obvious that, you know, a health system will be able to just openly provide that information. It may be in the wrong format. It may have other security and privacy concerns that have to be dealt with. So some of those details still have to be worked out. But the direction that has been laid out by ONC is very clear that you as a user, as a consumer, have access to your own data that you can carry with you wherever you want and share it with whoever you want. But you have to give prior authorization to the appropriate systems to, to allow them to do that. That is great. So, Srini, that is what you were referring earlier in your, when you mentioned file ambassador, like our accelerate solution or an architecture, a framework we have built, which helps enable actually ease the data understanding and the storage and the transmission. Can you a little bit elaborate on those parts, like what Arun just mentioned, like there are some restrictions. How does file ambassador handle all these things? Fantastic. I think you connected the dots well, Pankaj. And I think it was interesting what Arun said about the Cures Act rules and the government support. And to answer your question, file ambassador framework and tool that we have built, what it does is the primary motto of it is electronic data interchange in a very short span of time. Meaning what happens is the health data volume is huge. Sometimes it takes hours, multiple days. So we have built the engine in such a way it uses the core assembly. It, it uses the CLR. I mean, I'm going a little technical there. There, what it does is transfer of data will be quick and at the same time not losing any parameters. And what that means is we use the security and the encryption standards and that follows the guidelines defined by HL7 and HIPAA. And what it means is, like you said, you are traveling and suddenly, you know, somebody is calling and why don't you share your profile? We are trying to book an appointment. You don't have to wait, go to a health center, get the permission from the doctor. So what file ambassador does is overnight, it transfers all the data from the respective health partners 
and stores it in a centralized database system in a hierarchical format or non-hierarchical format, normalized or denormalized. So it makes it available for our customers. It could be a third-party gateway, third-party administrator or a pharmacy or a hospital. And from there on, they can massage the data and make it available in a responsive format. Responsive is the future of the user interface. In a, when I say responsive, they can see it in any type of gadget, any type of resolution, screen size. So that is the web interface. And uh, right now, we are setting our footprint into the cloud as well. So that means anywhere, anytime data is available. That's the format we are heading to. And that's file ambassador package. I would like to add one more, and I think, Arun, you'll be interested to hear this this as well. From Accelerate standpoint, apart from our domain technology experience, the future is artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, neural language processing. We have that, and our research department is working on the health tech data as well. But it is in the baby steps because the whole industry is trying to understand and adopt, like Alexa and Google. How about we all, you know, hey, can I have my data, Alexa? I'm just saying, or accelerate. Can I have my data? It will be readily available for them. I mean, that will be a golden day, I think. And <laughs> we are marching towards that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. The word that comes to this, phrase that comes to mind is crawl, walk, run. So, wow. yeah. <laughs> Once we are able to actually do the basics, uh, I think there's, yeah, there's a lot of innovation that is in the sidelines that is waiting to basically explode on the scene. Uh, so yeah, we all look forward to that day in our lifetime. Great. Uh, so one of the questions I have for both of you, like when I talk to our clients and prospects, so one of the things, they say like we can manage all this stuff, data formats, all that is stuff, but they always bring the security issue, the rules and regulations about the data leaving the country, for example, USA, if you are a US patient, then US, there are some rules, some organizations, right? So what is, Arun, in your opinion, how does the healthcare industry in your uh, coping with that stuff? And then, Srini, if you can follow up with like how you are handling those kind of sensitive information. Healthcare data is obviously the most sensitive information there is. Arun, I'll let you go drive first. Well, that's a great uh, follow-on question, uh, Pankaj. The fact is that, you know, all of these health agencies are very, you know, nationally oriented. Uh, all of them have very strict rules and restrictions based on the country's laws. So it is true that it will be a long time before I as a user can, you know, live for two months in one country and then travel to yet another country and then still be able to, you know, seamlessly have access to that data that I can share with the provider in the local country. I think that that's long ways to go. But within a country, there are very strict regulations on how the data is stored and when it is, you know, how it is secured and how it is transmitted. And those are, you know, available technologies that we've all been using for, for the last several years. So there is no technology barrier per se, but there'll be a policy issues to be resolved. For example, now GDPR has come up, right? They are mm -hmm. way strict, stricter on what information. They, it's not even health information. It's any personal information that cannot be shared with any third party outside uh, the known boundaries. So, yeah, that's, I don't have an answer to that. I just think that, you know, once we are able to solve these problems within a nation or within a region, then mm -hmm. there will be, you know, market forces that will dictate how fast, you know, this data can be exchanged across international boundaries. But again, like I said, you know, crawl, walk, run. Yes, yes. Shini, I heard initially you mentioned security and HIPAA compliance and everything. So can you a little bit touch about, I understand that across the nations, it's, we are not there yet. Let's crawl first so can you talk about like within the country we have accelerate has clients all over the world so how do you deal with within the country data issues sure i think i don't know whether any department thought about you you have already created a backlog for us Pankaj. it's <laughs> no no trust me it's a wonderful question because we talk about availability of data anytime anywhere but what about outside the country but now it is global. You know, morning you are in one country and next day you are in another country. So, but the thing is, uh, Arun mentioned a good point. The act and the regulations in each country is different. Even though health data is made available, from accelerate point of view, nowadays we host or we make our solution available in the cloud. That means 
you know cdn content delivery network it, it is available everywhere throughout the world as long as you have a gadget and internet connection but what it does is our customers restrict them based on their geo location geographical location and the ip address okay you are coming from this country so there the regulation is we are not supposed to share the data outside even though our application and our solution may work but we leave it to the clients judgment and clients policies and procedures to restrict the access but as and when once they relax it what that means is it's more work more security testing for us to make sure across see nowadays what happens is we are testing browser compatibility you all might have heard we test it in internet explorer google chrome mozilla you name it safari <laughs> now what we will do we will do a security testing for geo locations and that will be a fantastic thing to do i think you have made my thought in the horizon <laughs> grow it's fantastic idea provided the government all the regulations shake hands you know and they agree to it like a golden handshake Okay, great. And kind of summarize the interoperability and data issues from your perspective as you see it. Hi, Pankaj. Actually, I'll leave the audience with some optimism that I'm looking forward to. You know, there. If you had asked me this about this anecdote year two years ago, I would have probably been, you know, laughed you out of the room. But thanks to COVID, you know, it has allowed several agencies, health agencies, and organizations in the ecosystem. to organize and collaborate in ways that we've never, never seen before there is an organization called the covid-19 healthcare coalition that included 1200 different health systems public agencies individual providers payers and so on and they organized themselves just to tackle with basic things like you know how do we you know logistically coordinate Uh, the PPE when you know when the, this whole thing broke up broke in front of us all the way from there to sharing information about what is the best formularies for treating covid patients what are the best practices for you know isolation this that and that was happening all in real time because we were facing this calamity of proportions that we'd never seen before that type of organization uh, there's another one that comes to mind it's uh, the vaccine credentials initiative and you know we talked about fact that the vaccine Uh, information is all bifurcated and it's not uh, centralized in one location so the health industry did realize that we have to come together and there is a vaccine credentials coalition right now that is moving fast at at warp speed to try and get all this uh, stuff digitized so that gives me a lot of hope and optimism for the future we just don't want another pandemic or another of these you know god acts to move the industry forward but i think everybody has learned a lot from what just happened and the importance of getting all this de- health data centralized and flowing freely has become paramount so with that I'll let stream your point thanks arun so the takeaway and the what we are going to come up with from accelerate is as the name says we are going to accelerate some of the availability and interoperability of data in our solutions as soon as possible following all the guidelines policies and procedures based on cures and usda and what that means is one is it will be gadget friendly and it will be eco friendly in terms of you don't have to worry about your uh, infrastructure we you can access it via iphone or android or ipad as a matter of fact we are going to make it much more responsive and available for you and that's the goal our technology our domain our solution is driven towards and also cloud our footprint will be on the cloud and we do have our experience on aws that one of the partnership that we have recently got and azure and google cloud so that means our customers need not worry about technology agnostic nature and also the features of our software and solution and uh, that's the promise and also i have taken a lot from this conversation thank you both Thanks Shini. To summarize, the key takeaway from today's discussion from my perspective is that healthcare data is a different format. Getting to it, understanding it, and then transmitting it has been a technical challenge on top of all the compliance and security aspects. According to I was just reading one of the IDC reports and it says like the volume of healthcare data in 2013 was about 153 exabytes. and in 2020 it is projected we will have about over 2300 exabytes of healthcare data 
that is 15 times more data just in last seven years. And as many of you know, one exabyte is one billion gigabytes of, right? So do you think we are drowning in healthcare data today? Wait another few years and it will explode. So with that, Arun, uh, let me turn to you and ask in your opinion, how you conceptualize this drowning in the health data concept? First of all, thanks, Pankaj, for giving me this opportunity. It's in a series of discussions that we've been having around healthcare and some of the challenges. And today, we're going to be touching mostly on what I call too much of a good thing. You know, the, the, the saying goes that, you know, be careful of what you ask for. And in case of healthcare data, we have really a big problem plaguing us right now. And unfortunately, unfortunately, it is the data that's ultimately going to help solve the biggest challenges we are facing in healthcare, which is improving outcomes and reducing costs and improving care quality. But today, the way the data exists, have what I call a data deluge disorder, DDT. And so we'll talk more as the conversation goes, but yeah, we have too much of a good thing going on right now. Exactly. And Shini, what do you think from in your opinion? How do you conceptualize being in this industry for over 20 years and working with the teams? And how do you conceptualize this concept? First of all, thanks, Pankesh, and thanks for the introduction. And it is good to meet uh, the same group in the second series of our health tech conversation. And more the merrier, uh, they say, but especially with data, it's a dangerous thing because the more we accumulate, how well we handle the data is key to success. So to your point, drowning in data is pretty apt. It resonates well to the conversation. I think the due diligence aspect is more important according to what I've seen in the industry and our experiences. Asking the right questions during the due diligence and the discovery. Some of them I'll quote here, which will help and we can talk more in the further conversation. I think we have to ask our customers, hey, are you looking for ingesting and interpreting data from multiple sources? What is the scope? understanding the target audience and their usability. And is the system is really for clinical use or inventory management or reporting? You can name it. There are several variants. Asking that question is very important to design the schema better and which will eventually help in analytical needs and the governance. And the third one is during the design, we need to be very clear in architecting our solution to separate our inconsequential data and actionable data. The data is huge. The actionable data will separate us from drowning. We will float very well on the floor. We don't get drowned if it's separated. And another thing is, will our insights, whatever actionable data that you have separated, will it flow very well in the downstream system? Will it integrate very well with our EHR? Will it very well integrate with our hospital management system or claims processing or orders management? These are all some of the things which over the period of years, we have mastered this area to make sure that we do the due diligence, ask the right questions, make sure we design the system and avoid the customer from drowning in the data to be precisely to answer your question, Pankaj. It sounds good. So, Arun, let me turn it to you. Like, given description, a big thing, as I heard the words, like, there are many types of different data and all the different things. So, maybe what we should do is, like, kind of discuss briefly, like, what, in your opinion, we see as the different kinds of data or the hierarchy or any pyramid or whatever you think. And then it conceptualizes for everyone, like, okay, we are talking the same language, right? Yeah, uh, good question. Just as a little background, uh, you know, I classify three broad categories of healthcare data. There is obviously the most important and critical one is what we call the clinical data or the patient data, which is either stored in EMRs or stored in all sorts of siloed data, data lakes created by the likes of Apple on smartwatches and Fitbit. Then there is obviously the operational or administrative data, which is collected by all the health systems, whether it is staffing levels, patient census levels, things like lengths of stay, you know, expenses, turnover rates, all of those types of things. There are all around the operations of a healthcare delivery. And then the final and probably the most important really is the payer or the claims data, which is really where, you know, the economics of healthcare are obviously the most important one and payers ultimately have access to all of that data. So figuring out 
which treatments are working, which treatments are not working, how much should a treatment cost, what are the outlier events that can, you know, make the expenses go up, what pharmaceutical combinations are working. All of that is part of the claim data. So, again, kind of three broad categories, you know, the patient data, the clinical data, the operational and the administrative data, and finally the claims are the paid data. Actually, that's how I see it. Srini, you have any thoughts? Absolutely. I think uh, it's a good segue and uh, thanks, Arun. And claims data, because that is a source of income for our target customers, like a hospitals or covered entities and pharmacies. So think about it. We Every day, the accumulation of data is huge as per your introduction, Pankaj. It goes in megabytes, exabytes. Handling the volume of data on all these categories, first is it keeps data keeps flowing. So how do you handle, how do you channelize it? And then I will take a couple of examples with respect to claims data and EHR, EMR workflow, and how well we use our EDI exchange capabilities. So typically what happens is in claims data, we work with uh, either hospitals or pharmacies. The data comes from either a switch or a pharmacy like a Cardinal Health, Relay Health, or from the respective pharmacy chains. And the customers have their legal contract. They bound by the rules. And as a software development partner, what we do, we extract the data by creating a communication channel, a data transmission connection layer. So we need to make sure that uptime, downtime, is managed well and the service level agreement within certain time we need to make sure the data flows in loaded and processes pretty well so in this data collection mechanism there is a specific hierarchical rules first is we call this a raw data the raw data is assets we don't want to tamper with it store it and then do the massaging slicing and dazing and we move it to the claim switch and from claims switch, it goes to claims data by processing a lot of rules to typically, you know, claims is all about paids and reversals. How much is paid and how much is a reversal? And then these claims, whatever we have captured, captured claims in the 340B world or uh, enterprise pharmacy solutions, that gets counted into the inventory. And that inventory will be managed for placing orders like a virtual inventory for our customers. And apart from these layers, there is another caveat to it is a drug price because finally you need to match a price, a dollar value to it. And the drug price is almost a daily load and a weekly load, which is a volume of data as well. So we have a slot, a partition to manage all these pretty well. And that way uh, there is another layer is you know, depending upon where they are located in geographical location, they need to have access to the data in a secure fashion, following all the rules like a HIPAA, HL7. And one other example I want to give on the EHR workflow is, see, there are some customers, they ask, you know, can we reduce the time of dealing with patient records? So how well you can quickly get the information from the EHR system to the hospital or any labs using DICOM. So we have done a data extractor and what it does is using any API like a fire API or a service layer using our EDI engine quickly transfer the data and make sure it is available readily for our physicians and doctors to act on the patients. So this is just an example on the claims data and EHI data and how well we use our electronic data interchange. So one of the things, if I may follow up with Srini with you, is like what I hear you say, obviously, the scalability and all those things and the security and all that steps are critical. But also, I think you touched upon like without the context, the data has no meaning, right? I mean, we have the expertise because we've been working with over 20 years in the healthcare space. We have the context to be able to interpret this data. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely. I think very well said. Thanks for bringing up that point, Pankaj. Yes, because of the domain experience, we clearly understand what kind of structure the file will have. Meaning, sometimes we work with a pharmacy chains or a covered entity or a hospital, or sometimes, you know, we directly deal with the switch. So the data that flows in has different segments. Segments is like a tab separated or a comma separated, little technical aspects in the file. We know exactly what does that segment mean. Each segment has a, a denotion. You know, it has an attribute that maps with a specific parameter in the healthcare world. So that is purely the subject matter knowledge and which helps us defining the schema pretty well and from the scalability point of view, and in the futuristic purpose, it will be useful for governance, typically from archival and purging perspective. I would like to add one thing, which is very important is healthcare says 
you need to maintain the data for seven years. It should not be even, you know, archived or purged. And after seven years, it goes through archival process. So our schema definition in the initial stage, because of our understanding of this world, helps. I think that answers your question, Pankaj. Yeah, thanks. Sounds good, Srinit. Arun, you follow up? Yeah, the only thing I would like to add is there's another way to look at the different data categories and different problems that each uh, present. Yeah. So, you know, the operational, clinical and payer data are sort of where the data originates. That's sort of the way to characterize those three. But another way to look at the different data is that you always have, at the lowest level, you have what I call like raw data. And the challenges are, that are associated with raw data is things like with the string attached on security of the data, making sure it's not leaked storage and scale and of course the most important being the interoperability so think of it like a data layer where the challenges that we as technologists or you know users of data face are dealing with security storage things like that the next layer up if you will is now that you have all that data in the raw form looking at it in a more organized and aggregated fashion requires a different set of challenges to be dealt with so you know you deal with visualizing data worrying about data quality its integrity and data interoperability so for for when you have to organize and aggregate data then these are some of the challenges that we have to deal with then the next layer up now is if you have organized it now you have to interpret that data in some way right and this is where technologies for you know time series and trending analysis are used detecting anomalies creating sort of alerting and alarming events based on those anomalies so that something can be done about the data. Sort of that is the information layer, as I call it. So again, raw data, organized data. Now you're interpreting the data as part of the information layer. And then finally, there is data intelligence activity. You know, it's all good to be able to see things and to be able to trend them. But really, the, the biggest bang for the buck comes when you're able to use the data intelligence to gain knowledge, right? Ultimately, it is about predicting where things are going before they get back or detecting patterns in data and using, as Srini was saying, cross-referencing different data streams to create a context about what's actually happening. So you might get a data stream from clinical side, you might get a data stream from the operational side, but putting it together to see what might be happening in the hospital that we could predict and correct ahead of time. And I'll give you some examples as we go forward. So that's one of the knowledge layers, right? So that's another way to kind of look at the hierarchy of data. What kind of problems we face at each level and how do we, you know, use that information to build on the data. I think that's a great classification and I would love to have that follow-up discussion between you and Srini. But as you remember, like in the first episode, when I say like I put myself as a patient and I asked you both like, how come I can't get my health data on my phone, right? So when mm-hmm. you're talking about this classification, so this knowledge layer as a patient with all this other stuff, claims data, technical security, scalability, that's must do. But I as a patient, I'm like more excited about this knowledge layer as you characterize it because that's yeah. what I expect from the healthcare system. Like you'll be able to predict what's going to happen to my health and or educate me like these are the things I should take care of it now, right? So I Great. think that's a wonderful classification you did. So uh, I would love to hear more from you and Shini on that, uh, this classification. It's a wonderful classification. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really, we're living in very exciting times because the availability of compute resources, the ease of or the ubiquitousness of data generation from different sources has really put us at a point, and of course the advances in you know machine learning and artificial intelligence has put us at a point where we can start to think about practical uses of all these data streams and combining them in a way that provide knowledge just not just to the patient but also to you know healthcare operators, payers, everyone. Right? Yeah. So I, yeah. I have some examples on how some of these, at least in my experience, that I've seen how some of these actually being used in different aspects of healthcare delivery. Sini, mm-hmm. you have any input on the way Arun characterized this four categories, raw data, organized, interpreted data, and data intelligence? Absolutely. I'd like to add to Arun's point. See, by the end of the day, you also ask the same question. Okay, I'm sharing my data. I know what data is being collected by the respective parties. What do I get? What do I see? It's all about the visualization. How well you can visualize depending upon the actors, the personas, 
that's the key for success other that's when we'll differentiate whether you are really drowned in data or you are managing the data in a pretty organized planned fashion so there are several ways like for a financial accounting how the healthcare data should be shown or a balance scorecard hospital administration patient eligibility there are several ways we can create a business intelligent dashboard we have used softwares like a power bi or a, a sql server sql server reporting service or tableau those are all visualization layer finally the end goal is to for you to see for everyone all the personas to see how well the data has been collected and what is the end result and how we need to take it forward and this is manual fashion and to arun's point how well this can be automated and optimized using the future technology growth from a robotic process automation so you see data entry is a nightmare in the healthcare industry so we cannot have a thousand seater for entering data for one hospital how well it can be collected using tools like you know selenium or ui path using rpa method and future is going to even bots you know without even human interface without even it's more virtual a voice that will be talking to humans to collect the data so that is more from nlp natural language processing that is from the data collection to your point and the raw data and how well it will be massaged using various intelligent analytical algorithm and then how will it be presented in the visualization this great good 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 and arun i heard you yeah. yeah that reminds me of some uh, you know use cases that i have recently yeah. come across very clever use cases on the operational data you know one of the biggest cost factors for health systems are personnel costs and you can imagine in a hospital employing 4 5000 nurses and several other ancillary healthcare workers scheduling their times based on the amount of patient traffic or based on the amount of census as they call it is a very hard task it's not like everybody shows up at 8 to 5 and you know they finish their work and go it it has to kind of correlate with the amount of patient traffic and the severity of the cases that they are handling and this stuff used to be a perpetual challenge for all the hospitals until so these intelligent ml technologies came around machine learning technologies where this one company looked at the historic data both based on you know different days of the week different months of the year different weather conditions and they were able to predict how much traffic meaning patient traffic that hospital would see so they looked at historic 10 years time series data and they were able to look at trends within that time series they were able to predict like if, if it is you know august first week when the school start and this was somewhere in madison you know they'll have an increased traffic which will lead to increased accidents which may lead to increased emergency room admissions which may lead to you know higher staffing levels so being able to predict that was a very useful thing and the hospital was ultimately able to you know save a lot of money because they didn't have to get people on overtime and you know sometimes you have excess demand sometimes you have excess supply and they were able to balance that quite clearly so one very easy example of what i call smart staffing another example that i saw this was at stanford where this other company was able to improve their or operating room or turnaround time there was a particular neurosurgeon who was pediatric neurosurgeon and his time was you know he was one of the two in the world or in the country and he his time was very hard to schedule and they wanted to make sure that when his surgeries were scheduled in the operating room all other surgeries would be put on hold and so that they could optimize the use of his time and so again you can think of it as a multidimensional optimization problem where they looked at how long those surgeries typically took what were the outlier cases and how best to make sure that that operating room was always available with the right equipment with the right trained staff so that that surgeon could optimally perform surgery and again they used machine learning and a lot of historic data analysis to make sure that not only the room was available but all the supplies that that surgeon needed all the people that the surgeon would rely on staff and so forth were available at the right time so that his surgeries were not delayed all other surgeries had to be rescheduled around that time right so two very good examples of staffing and also operating room scheduling so that you know you can maximize the revenues from that service line 
I think great use cases love it. So it's basically the point I think we hear is like, okay, it is one thing to tell that this is the problem, but the another thing is like to be able to say, okay, this is how you solve the problem, right? Um, so it's a very nice use cases. And that's what the, with this whole data thing and the way characterized and then if things happen, that's where we are heading into. And that's where the value will be. And that's where the companies or hospitals or different organizations will be able to either save cost or put an additional revenue thing because now they are providing more value for the data they have, right? Shini, mm-hmm. anything what Arun said, any your comments, any thoughts? Yes, yes. And see, we talked about the visualization layer and again, drowning in data. So what is the solution for it? I mean, we talked about various workflow and various layers, how the data gets transformed and it goes and settles down in one place. So what uh, normally the education we give us, you need to think how long the longevity of the data, how well you're going to use it. So data warehouse, I mean, uh, the storage point of Uh view. And data warehouse, there are three categories. Is we call it as EDW. That is your data warehouse. That is the top layer. And the next one is operational data store. If you don't want to invest much on the data warehouse, but I would like to have a data store that is called ODS. Uh-huh. And the next layer is called DM, data mart. That's I would call it as a data warehouse light version, very light uh-huh. version of this thing. So there will not be much of cubes and dimensions. Uh-huh. So this is what will make your data in a much more streamlined fashion. This can help in analytical purpose and predictive analytics to the point that we discussed earlier. That is going to be the future. And for predictive analytics, this kind of partitioning, slotting and storage is important. And it is very well used. One of the TED Talks, what I said is the industry is trying to use the data for predicting the cardio attack based on their culture, their lifestyle, their geographical location, the age, you name various parameters. All these parameters, each one is a data and that comes from the warehouse. And that's the end point I would like to mention. Obviously, security is of utmost importance when dealing with the health data. The HIPAA security rule clearly states that covered entities must implement technical security measures to guard against unauthorized access to electronic protected health information transmitted over an electronic communication network. The 2009 HITECH Act extends this rule to business associates as well. Assuming HIPAA rules are followed strictly by covered entities and business associates. Arun, let me ask you from your perspective, what makes the health data so different from the other types of data? Over to you, Arun. I think the whole conundrum around healthcare data is complicated by two unique factors. One of which is that unlike any other industry, maybe except financial, the reliance that health industry has on good data and good data analytics is unparalleled. And the reason is that, I mean, you have to go back to the macroeconomics of healthcare. At the end of the day, health systems are operating on very, very thin margins. And about 30 to 35% of revenues of any health system on an average come through Medicare reimbursements and CMS. And no other industry has such heavy regulatory requirements which almost force health system to use data to improve their operational efficiencies and clinical outcomes. You know, that we've heard of triple aim. A lot of what triple aim is around improving patient outcomes, improving quality and uh, reducing cost. And none of these are possible unless health systems spend a lot of effort in data analytics and understanding where the costs are, how to optimize cost, how to improve outcomes. So, this is sort of unparalleled in any other industry. There is a lot of reliance in, like I said, in financial industry on data just because, you know, there is need for data to improve your competitiveness as a company. But in healthcare, it's more driven by the almost the dict act, I would say, of government regulations. It's very interesting that it's a nice perspective to put like oh, it is different. I learned some stuff. Uh, this triple M concept is new to me. So it's great. I wanted to follow up, Shrini, what do you think, what Arun just said about the uniqueness of the health data? Uh, thanks, Pankaj. Thanks, Arun. See, I think why health data is important at the same time complex. Two aspects of it is capturing the data, one aspect of it, and how much of it is centralized. And uh, as we all know, there is a lot of guidelines, uh, security and compliance regulations around how the data should be captured, 
by each entity. When I mean each entity, by a covered entity, a hospital, health center, different payers, pharmacies. So in all these layers, unless otherwise there is a seamless way of exchange, we call it as a file transfer challenges in healthcare systems. So it has to be, the handshake should be seamless. At the same time, enough information should be shared between the parties for the end user, obviously the patients, to have a clear visibility of their data. So some of the recent studies say all the data that is captured, which is several data points and attributes, only 20 to 25 percentage of clarity will be there after it gets cleansed. So that level of challenge is there in health data for various reasons. Some could be because of lack of compliance and security, infrastructure, and increase in the volume of the confidential data attributes and files that is shared between all the parties. And not only that, when we have multiple sources, disparate data sources, with various complex scripts. So each one has their own set of parameters to capture. And finally, all gets convoluted and it has to be separated in a neat, cleansed form for visibility of end users. And think about it, such a huge quantity of data that is being exchanged, it has to be effectively managed by through automation because there is no human who can kick off, start, stop, it has to be an automated fashion. The data should be exchanged and it has to be tracked and monitored pretty well. So they clearly know okay, at each stage where the data is and what form of data transfer is being done at every entity. And there are some other infrastructure challenges to it. And that makes it much more important for health data to be monitored, managed pretty well to answer your point, Pankaj. Yeah, that's a good point, uh, Srini. I just wanted to thinking about it's not all doom and gloom in when it comes to, I would say, human and health sciences data. I'm just broadening that from healthcare data because it occurred to me that, you know, for things like the Human Genome Project, it's been known that everything that's going on around the world uh, related to the Human Genome Project is all open and shared uh, instantly on the web. During COVID times, you've heard of open journals where scientists instantly publish their findings about uh, the epidemiology even before it's peer-reviewed and it's open to all. And then, of course, there is congressional mandate for all sorts of pharmaceutical clinical trials to also be open. So my point was that it's not all that anything related to healthcare or human sciences is closed. It's just in this case, we are dealing with HIPAA and government regulations, at least in the United States and mostly around the world, where patient information is to be held private and secure. So that's what makes it kind of unique. Let me switch to maybe another area that, you know, I'm just thinking of all the challenges that plague healthcare uh, when it comes to data. So you talked about capturing this data from multiple siloed sources, which is clearly a problem. You talked about cleaning uh, all the dis disparate formats. I think there is a couple of other areas that uh, probably need some more conversation. One is, you know, the storage, the almost like an exponential increase in the amount of data that is being captured all the way from IOTs to, you know, patient's health record in EHR. And there are significant requirements for different types of data to be held by health systems, and in particular being the six-year requirement for patient access. For health data and then there is all these other data forms that are you know constantly being generated so storage has become a significant problem with health systems it's, it's a pretty big headache because they have to decide how much of data to be stored for what reason you can't just store every data at all the time you have to understand right at the beginning how this data will be used over what time horizon can you talk a little bit about that from your you know practical experience sure Adam. Uh, yes I think one leg of the journey is, okay, uh, the data is captured, cleansed. And to your point, the biggest challenge every party in the health systems face is how to store the data, how well it should be stored. Because nowadays, on-premises solution was a big challenge in good old days because of the infrastructure management and governance. Now with cloud getting into the journey of various lives, it has reduced the pain of the infrastructure maintenance and the cost incurred on the systems as such, the servers. But the thing is, wherever or whichever form 
whichever area that is stored it has to highly follow the auditing standards security is an underlying factor and compliance so when it comes to storage first coming to the trans transmission of data which is our the title of the podcast it has to be highly secured there are some in the hypertext transfer protocol in http you can add the secured socket layer ssl and on top of it nowadays there's a lot of sniffing there are specific attacks called side channel attacks which has to be taken very much into account of securing the data and the sensitivity around data is high uh, and the governing uh, regulatory bodies from us europe australia you name it every continent with iso uh, gdpr general data protection regulation and australia data privacy act they ensure that you can store as much of data but the thing is the transmission should not have a leakage and the storage should be encrypted at rest so these two are factors which makes it much more complex for transmission and storage so the encryption again goes at various stages during the data transfer it should be encrypted and at rest there should be a column level encryption file level encryption archival level encryption these are the various encryption standards and it has to be managed with a pa- constant password update because uh, according to the law it says you know you cannot maintain a password for a long time it has to be managed it has to be uh, updated frequently so these are all the storage challenges comes along with security to your point the 6 years of data so it's like you know you have to hold it tight your heart making sure that none of the data gets leaked i mean that makes it part of the ownership as well for the respective parties so here the covered entities and the payer they play a crucial role because it's all the starting point and ending point and in between in the internet it has to be secured with all the algorithms and techniques that are that are in the industry yeah, a good segue into sort of the next area which is sort of the main elephant in the room which is around security and I think of security as really six different subcategories. When we say securing health data, we are talking about making sure, first of all, that only the right persons are able to access data. So let's talk about you know authentication as you as you had hinted. The other parts of security includes access control. So making sure that not only the right person is accessing the data, but they're accessing only what they are allowed to see then there is obviously the audit control which is if there was a need to ever go back and look at the history of who accessed and changed what data there has to be that level of you know fine access to uh, audit controls in this secure system uh and then integrity is the key part you know we talked about cleanliness and all but once the data is stored you want to make sure that only the right people authorized people are able to change it and you know it doesn't get corrupted and so forth and then finally we talked about uh, transmission so it's really access audit integrity authentication transmission to me these together sort of come under the umbrella of security any any comments or thoughts on that classification no i think you narrated it well arun i think especially there is a governing body called harsa health resources and services administration and they put a lot of emphasis on audit i mean security there is a lot of frameworks in place but when it comes to audit they are very particular meaning whatever claims data for example in clinical world are they being captured and right party is being charged and right amount is being charged the audit ensures there is no money that goes unattended and also the members who are involved around the claim is being charged correctly so that level of details nitty gritties uh, are involved when it comes to audit to your point that is from health resources and service administration they do every yearly audit and because of that volume of data there is a quarterly audit that happens at every uh, covered entity and and uh, third party administrators that is one aspect of it nowadays the security has gone one above called soc compliance you all might have heard about soc 2 type 1 and soc 2 type 2 one is for the financial the other one is for the administration and data that ensures it is a, an umbrella a layer on top of ior international organization for standardization iso soc makes sure that there are several layers of security that should be in place so one is harsa ensures audit and iso and soc 
make sure the data is being secured. So these two are, you know, we call it as twin aspects of a security layer. Everyone looks for when they sign up with a covered entity or health partner or payer to make sure that every entity they're dealing with them has uh, their certification in place. So rest assured, they'll be, uh, you know, having their data secured. That's the additional point to your so one question popped up and either one of you can answer. So seems like the way Arun, you are saying and Shini, all this security and cost and storage, it's pretty expensive thing to store and maintain and do all this thing regarding the health data. So what motivates organization to do all this stuff in the first place? Is it- well, uh, it's actually uh, quite simple. Like I said at the beginning, uh, the macroeconomics of healthcare are such. You know, there are really two two types of health systems. One that operate in a highly competitive market where improving operational costs and improving population health are easily measured and compared against your competitor and that determines not just the reimbursement but sometimes you're penalized. You know, for example, we talked last time uh, for things like readmission rates and such. So all of these are sticks if you will, for Medicare and CMS and now even private payers to impose on health systems so that they shape up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other half of the health system or actually half it, you know, the other group of health systems that operate in what we call concentrated markets where they pretty much have monopoly or, you know, they have no incentives to increase their operational efficiencies or reduce costs because they just, what they can't, don't get from the CMS or the Medicare they just charge the private payers. So if you look at insurers, for example, or payers or health systems in the Midwest, in places like uh, Indiana and places, uh, their cost for treatment, for same treatment, is significantly higher. And it's very counterintuitive to places like Boston, where there is high level of competition. Because in one case, the checks and balances proposed by CMS in form of penalties and reimbursement rates are effective. In the other case, where there is only, you know, one health system to take care of a large part of Indiana, CMS can't really, you know, do anything about it. So there the costs spiral out. So now what's happening because of that, I just read a statistic that if you look at the hospital system's actual cost of delivery versus the reimbursements they get from private payers and from the Medicare, Medicare pays about 88 cents for every hundred cents or for every dollar of cost. Right, so they operate almost like twelve percent in ne- in negative, whereas they compensate that from the private payers, and they end up shouldering the cost of that deficit. So they end up paying one hundred and forty four dollar forty four for every dollar of cost, and this mm-hmm. has to be this cannot go on for the long term, right? So the macroeconomics really pay up play out here. So what is now happening is that you must have heard. I think we talked in the last podcast of this move from fee for service based model, which is all these, you know, everything we talked about so far is based on fee-for-service service, where there is predetermined costs for, you know, a particular type of hospital visit to now what they call value-based pricing. So value-based pricing is sort of the, the mechanism now that's coming into play that's going to kind of equalize this playing field so the health system won't be able to just, you know, shift their costs from uh, or their, their profits from Medicare over to, to private insurers. All payers will use the same mechanism to you'll only get this kind of stuff because we have data from these regions where, let's say, uh, orthopedic surgery costs this much. So you in Indiana can't suddenly charge us to it twice as much, right? So they're going to equalize that. And that's going to be the final driver, I believe, in the absence of open markets or competitive markets where these costs will eventually be driven down. So long, long answer, but, you know, it's really being driven by macroeconomics. Micro, yeah, that's the key thing because I mean, it's like every, like any organization, it's like you're spending so much money, you got to have a way of making something out of it, right? Yeah. yeah it's, it makes sense. So, Pangaj, and to Arun's yeah. point, um, so nowadays, the, every country, uh, they introduce a lot of federal program on uh, their discount card program. What they do is, they're saying, the federal says, okay, you do this to benefit the members who cannot afford costly medicines, who cannot afford costly treatment and diagnosis. If you work with the government uh, as a true partner, uh, a covered entity or a hospital or a health partner, 
all the discounted money will be paid will be the delta will be paid to them eventually they can invest on latest programs like cancer arthritis there are a lot of uh, diseases that needs diabetics that needs more attention so they can invest that money in that program and eventually they that particular hospital will be staying head of the in the market in the research and development or any findings they can bring in so that is one of the ways to attract them to your point what makes them stay in this market even though they are spending a lot of money this is because they want to always be one step above other competitors so this is mm-hmm. one way to attract them sounds good i think there almost there is so much more to talk about but unfortunately we are running out of time so i just wanted to ask karun you and shrini if you guys can any final thoughts on this topic access and uh, transmission of the health data is sure see this is what the way we are heading to so typically the office of the national coordinator of health information the onc and us core data for interoperability so where we are heading to according to the press release what they did in 2018 is there is a framework that is uh, in place and we are marching towards that the three main goals that covers the interoperability and also to avoid drowning in the data and effective ways of transmission and accessibility three pillars i would say is patient access patients the members must be able to access their health information electronically without any special effort that is one population level data exchange providers and payer organization accountable for managing benefits can receive population level health information allowing them to analyze their health trends outcomes and costs that is going to be the Uh, one of the key aspects and the third one is open and accessible apis though we touched upon the fire uh, the health information technology community should have open and accessible application programming interface to effectively uses the data for the visibility of the data for their respective patients so this is the where we are marching towards and we are heading in the right direction that's about the wrap up thanks yeah, pause that's a very positive note shini uh, i i would just like to add that if you look back at the last two decades the progress while has been slow has been steady and in the right direction for all of these improvements that we talked about i just want to caution people that it's we're still dealing with healthcare we're dealing with human lives we're dealing with a lot of liability related challenges so just to temper the mood here that while the progress has been definite it, it's going to be slow and uh, but the world is a better place today than it was 20 years ago when it comes to healthcare there was so much more to discuss today unfortunately we ran out of time the key takeaway for me from today's discussion is the concept of triple aim regulations mandate that providers use data and analytics to gain actionable insights and apply them to improve clinical outcomes improve quality of care and reduce operational costs that's your triple aim This is what makes the healthcare data unique in comparison with the other types of data. Thanks again Arun and Shrini for an open discussion and providing your insight. Thanks Madhura for organizing the event. Bye. Thanks Pankaj and thank you Arun and Shrini for taking the time to join us again. It was a pleasure hosting you for these episodes to discuss healthcare data and your insights have surely added value to our listeners. We will look forward to hosting you again to discuss healthcare technology in the future. And thank you everyone for tuning into this episode. For more information on healthcare technology, digital transformation and product engineering, visit our website www.accelerate.com. Thank you.